We're just going to lift one verse, but we're going to look at quite a lot of scripture. But let's just look at the book of Isaiah, please. Chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64. And just the one verse, verse 8, please. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou our potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. Father, take your word as it's been already prayed. And Lord, would you take it home to hearts. Encourage, strengthen, bless, help, convict, convince, heal, stir up. However you deem or seem it fit. We ask you, Lord, that you would touch my frail lips, clay lips. And we pray, O God, that you would be glorified. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. The potter and the clay. Notice what it says in our verse, our text again tonight. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou art potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. Israel was in a backslidden condition. Once walked with the Lord. Had everything that they had from the Lord, blessings from him. And now they find themselves in a backslidden condition. They've walked away, they've allowed things to come into the nation and into their lives. And that which God had started to do has become marred. Absolutely marred. You see, a life that is not walking with Christ, that once used to walk with Christ, And now a life that has fallen away from Christ is a marred life. Am I speaking to a woman and you're marred? A man and you're marred? You maybe once walked with Christ and now you've fallen away, backslidden. You're marred in the sense that you've allowed the world to come into your life and your home and your heart. And the devastation and the things that happens from the world and all that it can feed you, you've feasted at the table of it. I want to tell you tonight, there's reconciliation and there's restitution for you. You're in the right place to hear the word of the Lord to your heart. God loves you. If you're his child and you've walked away, he loves you. He's never stopped loving you. And even the nation of Israel and its people here, he never stopped to love them. Notice here, the dreadful state and the desperate Condition of the nation. We can put here the desperate state and the condition of the United Kingdom, of Ireland, the United States, the West in particular, the dreadful state and the desperate condition of the nation, sinful, lustful, away from God, no help. What is the only help for Great Britain tonight? Is it a new prime minister? Dear, help us. What is it that will make America great again? Donald Trump? Dear, help them. 
The only one that will make anyone or any nation great again is when they turn back to the God of their fathers and they turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can make a nation great, a household great. He's the only one that can turn the heart and make a man and a woman right with him. In other words, great in his sight, that is, to walk with him. Christ and Christ alone can do these things. And we with our feeble, fickle, frail, faltering hands find that we make a mess of it. We make a mess of life. We make a mess. All of us make a mess of life. Nobody can point a finger at another here. Every one of us were marred vessels. Clay, pottery, marred. But when we come to the cross, when we see the fountain of blood, when we see the price has been paid, well, sure, there's reconciliation found on the one who died for us. For he alone has paid our debt. I want you to see something here as we go through this. I'm maybe going to do it over two nights. I don't want to do too long a, a, a preach tonight. I could preach to the cows come home, you know that. And, you know, I'm that long-winded. I could sail a boat across the Atlantic in one gust. <laughs> And you all said that with such conviction. <laughs> don't want to do that. I don't want to. I feel I'm going to go so far. And there's a lot of teaching in this, you know. Not only about national, about individual, personal lives for the church, for all of us. And there's prophecy in it too. What we're going to look at, and maybe take me into next week. But notice this: the dreadful state of the nation, the desperate cry of a prophet. Is found right at the beginning of this chapter. If you'll go to verse 1 of chapter 64. Oh, that thou wouldest render the heavens. That thou wouldest come down. That the mountains might flow down at thy presence. You notice the only thing that is going to turn the house of Israel around. Was again the Lord to pour out his spirit. What is it's going to turn us around? It's the same here as it is today, that the Lord would rend the heavens and come down and visit us once more in revival power and revival blessing. That's the only hope we have is the coming of Christ. And the only hope we have is before that for the Lord to reap a harvest of souls into his kingdom because those souls will be lost for all of eternity if they're not saved and blood washed. Notice again the cry, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Notice the first part of that, oh, that thou wouldest. Now later it says, we're clay and you're the potter. And the potter is the one who's sovereign over the clay, isn't that right? The potter is the one who is, gets it on the wheel and adds the water and starts to turn the wheel as he puts his foot on, the wheel starts to spin. The potter is the one who starts to form it and to mold it, and to shape it into that image which he has and wants it to become and to be. God did that in the Bible. We'll look at it again. And God does that with the hearts of men and women. And it takes time. Sometimes the pottery, as it's forming out, might be unworkable, and some of it is thrown out. But the real pottery that the potter has picked is fashioned and formed into something marvelous, into something beautiful. And he forms it according to his own will. It tells me the potter is the sovereign. 
and the clay. Well, you and I are those who are in need of the hand of the sovereign to come down. In other words, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. He's crying, the prophet. And usually the prophet is speaking to the people. But now he's crying. He's prophesied. He's preached his heart out. Notice he's preached his heart out. And they've rejected the word of the Lord and they've rejected the things God has said and they've rejected the warnings and they've rejected the judgment that would come and they've rejected the God that could save them. And he's preached his heart out till he's sore and he's tired. And he looks upon the people and he says, this is an impossibility. They're getting worse, Lord. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens that thy would has come down. Isaiah the prophet here should be a, a picture and a type of the church today. If the church was really, truly walking with God the way we should be, and if the church really, truly had the conviction of the Spirit against the things that we see and notice in our land and in our nation tonight, you and I would be on our knees, both in corporate church and at home on our own, crying for the deluge of the Holy Ghost, crying for the power of the Lord, crying unto him saying, Lord, we're finished unless you rend the heavens and you come down. Unless thy spirit would move upon us. Unless your spirit is poured out upon us. Unless your spirit is given without measure to us. What hope have we, Lord? What hope have we? Oh, that thou wouldest rend. Notice, oh, that thou wouldest. Caught me that little phrase because it's what he would, what he does. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and come down. And notice this. In Job 14 and verse 13, Job uses the same term. Job, the man who's lost his house and his home and his livestock and he's lost his children because they've all been, they've all died. And the devil came and destroyed all around him and his home, tore it apart and everything happened. And lo and behold, Job took sick. And he was covered with sore boils and he, he got pieces of pottery, no less, that were broken, potsherds, and he scraped with that mad itch and gnawing pain in him, the very skin with the potsherd. And he sat in dust and in ashes, and lo and behold, his three friends come, who we call Job's comforters, but were not comforters at all, but rather they came and tore him down. How low can you get? He turns to his wife. My wife will support me. And she says, curse God and die. Why don't you just go and die, Job? Listen to what he says. Job 14 and 13, he cries unto the Lord, Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave. That thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be passed. That thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. You know what Job's saying? Lord, if I was dead, it would be easier. If you would put me in the grave and just leave me there until everything's sorted out, remember where I was at a certain time, and then waken me again, he says, everything will be fine. If I was just out of this life, 
If I was just out of the situation, if I was just out of the things that are around me, oh God, he says, oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave. Now notice, Job pleads for the grave because his trials are too much to bear. His, his load is too heavy and life is too difficult. Listen to what he says in chapter 23 and verse 2. Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groanings. Here's another day I get up and I'm struggling. I can't cope. Have you ever been there? Or even near it? Even near it? Another day you waking up and you can't cope Job is pleading for the grave for he tends to think that the grave will be the end of it all. All the pain and all the suffering will be gone. That's what he thinks. Job equates the grave as an escape from God's wrath. It was the devil doing it to Job. It was God's restraining influence that held the devil back. The wrath of God hadn't even begun. Here's what I've written down when I've thought about this. You ready? No man is ready to die unless they've been reconciled to God in this life. No woman is ready to die unless they've been reconciled to God in this life. There's not one ready to die. And those who plead for death to get away from the struggles of this life are not ready to die save they ask to be saved of the Lord the wrath of God has not even begun he's withholding and restraining his wrath until that day when he does rend the heavens and come down Sobering, isn't it? Notice in John chapter 3 and verse 36, the Lord Jesus said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Listen, the wrath of God is only restrained. It it abides on every Christ rejecter. The wrath of God abides on every Christ rejecter. And if there's someone listening to this tonight, the wrath of God is abiding on you if you're not saved, if you're not blood washed, if you're not trusting fully, totally, only, solely, wholly, and completely, unreservedly on Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. And he says that the wrath of God abideth on him, not in him, but on him. And there's millions of people. There's people you work with and there's parts of your family and the wrath of God abides on them. And that wrath and its fullness, whether they die or Christ returns, will be poured out upon the Christ rejecter. Job lived in the types, shapes and shadows of the Old Testament. But he walked with God and he built altars. But this shows us that the saint is not without hardship and trials in this life. 
Neither are they void of feelings or painful emotions. Christians feel pain too. People tend to think that a Christian, well, we can call you what we want and we can say what we like and we can treat you the way we want to treat you. But Christians feel painful emotions too. Brother, sister, don't wish for the grave. Don't wish for the grave, but live for his glory. Live for his glory. The introduction is that of the potter and in, in relation to the clay. Job's cry is like that of Isaiah. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave. Oh, that thou wouldest around the heavens, says Isaiah. I don't want to try, I don't want to mix you up here, but listen to this. This thought hit me as I wrote this. Oh, that thou. And then there are those verses that doesn't say that thou, but says thou that. And they're a different thing. For example, that thou, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, thou wouldest come down. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, or a desire for what God would do. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, will you come down? Our nation needs you. My family needs you. I need you. Oh, great potter, Will you come down to the clay and mould us? Sovereign God to come down to depraved humanity. The great and almighty sovereign Lord God of heaven and the earth. He who sees all, who is in all, who is through all and who is over all. Will you come down to these lumps of clay? Depraved, helpless, lost, hopeless without you. Oh, that thy Buddhist, it's a, it's a desire for what God would do. Come down. And the term that thy is a declaration really for who God is. Say it again. That thou wouldest come down as a desire for what God would do, and thou that is a declaration for who God is. Let me give you an example. Psalm 17 and verse 7. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right heart. You know, Lord, when I look at you, you're the only Savior. You're the one and the only Savior that we have. There is none other and there is none else but you alone, O God. Show thy marvellous loving kindness, O thou, that savest by thy right hand. How does he save by his right hand? Well, God hasn't really got a right and left hand. It's a terminology. He's the great eternal spirit. But the right hand speaks of fellowship and power and strength. And how does he do it? Well, it's like he put his right hand into the midst of the problems of earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ came and saved. And Christ came and shed his blood at Calvary. And Christ went to the grave. And Christ rose the third day. And Christ ascended into heaven. And his right hand is sitting on his right hand. Christ is seated at the right hand of God tonight. Notice, show thy marvelous loving kindness, thou that savest by thy 
or right hand. Oh, thou that savest. You are the Savior. It's who you are. Here's what Spurgeon says. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. Show it to my intellect and remove my ignorance. Show it to my heart and revive my gratitude. Show it to my faith and renew my confidence. Show it to my experience and deliver me from all my fears. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, you know what you need tonight? Do you know what I need tonight? Do you know what our families need tonight? Do you know what your children need tonight? Do you know what your work colleagues need tonight? Do you know what your neighbors need tonight? Do you know what everyone in our land needs tonight? We need, we need God to interfere, to get involved. We need him to rend the heavens and to come down again. That's what we need from him. O thou that savest by thy right hand, we declare who you are, the only Savior, and we declare the words of Jonah 2 and 9 to be right. Salvation is of the Lord. Christ alone. You see, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the word commendeth is the word synestomy. Synestomy. And this is what it means to stand with. To stand with or to present oneself or to display or to introduce beside another. Stay with me. God commendeth his love. God's love stood with me when I was in my sin. God's love stood with you when you were in yours. God's love stood with each and every one of us. God introduced his love toward us. God was present. His love was there when you were in your deepest, darkest moments. Even some of us looking for the grave to get the way out. Looking for relief of the things we've found ourselves in. Hopeless and helpless, yet God's love stood with us. We find ourselves saved by grace through faith tonight in Christ. But God commendeth his love toward us. Listen, while we were yet sinners. In that while we were yet sinners. That when I was a sinner, to think of some of the places I was, yet God still loved me. You think of some of the places you were. Some of the conditions you got into. Some of the things you got up to. Some of the ways you allowed yourself to be led. And you think about it, and God still loved you. He stood with you. His love was still toward you. That while you were yet sinner, Christ would die for you. Imagine he knew who I was. Imagine he knew who I was. He knew what I would become, but he knew what I was going to be. He knew where my life would take me. He knew the places that I was at. He knew it all. Yet he says in eternity, The Father says, my son, I'm giving him to you. Lord, poor lodgings for you here. But thank you that you love me. Thank you that you saved me. I'm grateful and I'm glad that I belong to Christ. 
Notice, let me just open this word for you. God commendeth his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, commendeth. Peter writes, or pardon me, Peter sees, and when the Lord Jesus take Peter, James, and John up the mountain, it's known as the Mount of Transfiguration, and in Luke's account, chapter 9, verse 32, there's a couple of words there. Now, here is the vision of the Lord with, with Moses and Elijah appearing in a vision with him, and Jesus' garments start to glisten, and his face is brighter than the noonday sun. And here's a little word it says, it speaks of the two men that stood with him. That stood with him. That is, that stood with Jesus. It's the same word, synestomy, for commendeth. These men, Moses and Elijah, this vision that they had, that they had Peter sees them. The two men that stood with him. It's the exact same word. But God commanded his love toward us that not while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he's saying, see as they standing there, so my love has stood for you. So my love still stands for you. Paul writes in Romans 16 and 1, a letter, and he writes, I command unto you, Phoebe, our sister. The word I command is synestomy. Paul says, here's a letter, and I want you to know that I'm writing on behalf to stand with Phoebe. Isn't that wonderful? That God's love stands with me no matter where I go. That God's love is upon you no matter where you go. Brother, sister, we don't wish for the grave. We're not looking for the undertaker. We're waiting for the upper taker. We're waiting for the Lord from heaven. Notice, notice this. First John chapter 1, verse 19. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this was manifested, the love. What was manifested, the love? When Christ died for us, he displayed his love. His love stood for all time. His love manifested in a man. The man was on the tree, crucified hand and foot with nails through Roman soldiers. Head was, had plaited a crown of thorns and driven into it, lacerated back and a beaten face and a pulled out beard. And, and here he was marred more than any man. And there he hung between heaven and earth and he took the wrath of God. He took it in full. For the Father was saying, I, my love stands with you. My love stands with you. What love? Here's another one for you. Psalm 65 and verse 2. O Father, that hearest prayer. Unto thee shall all flesh come. O thou that. Notice, you're a prayer hearing God. You're my God and you hear me. You hear me. In Isaiah 59 and verse 1 it says, Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened and it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And this really makes me think of something. This makes me think of the Lord Jesus on the cross when he cries, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. 
which being interpreted as my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why was he praying? He's a man, yet he's God. And he cries, oh, thou that hearest prayer unto thee shall all flesh come. Even the man Christ Jesus prayed to his father. Even the man Christ Jesus on the cross cried out, cried out aloud, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And maybe I'm speaking to someone tonight, for Israel felt it that the potter had left his hands off the clay. And maybe I'm speaking to someone here and you think, well, there's no hope for me anymore. That God is away from me and, and God has forgotten me, friend, I want to tell you. <laughs> and I want to tell you with the authority of the scriptures that he is still a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice, when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thank the Lord he did. You know why? He was forsaken that I might be brought in. He took it all. He took it all. It is with this in mind that the prophet looks towards heaven. And in Psalm 123, verse 1, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes. Notice, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. O thou, you're the God in the heavens. You're the God who hears prayer. You're the only Savior. It's who you are. Now think about this. It's still who he is. We are still who we are. And that's why we need him to rend the heavens. That he would come down again. Think about this. The Lord says, I am the Lord, or Yahweh. I change not. Eh? He doesn't change. Listen to what he says the rest of it. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You know what he says? <laughs> Jacob, twist their flesh. <laughs> he says, you're still who you are, Jacob. I know who you are. You're still in your sin. You're still wayward. You're still getting up to no good. You're still worshiping other gods. You've still got idols in your life. You still won't give your life to me. I know who you are. But because of who I am, that's why you're not consumed. That's what he says. I am the Lord. Get that? We, 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 we just glide over it. I am the Lord. Yes, we are. Yeah. Oh, praise the Lord. He's the Lord. That's it. No, listen. This is the God of eternity. The God who created all things. The God of the heavens and the earth. The God who has made all and upholds all things by the word of his power. The great sovereign eternal spirit. The Lord our Father in heaven. He says, I am Yahweh. I change not. Therefore, because I don't change, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Do you know why he doesn't consume us? Because he's the same. He's got a big heart of love. He's got a big heart of love. 
And he's full of mercy. Full of mercy. And he's given us a space to repent. I believe the United Kingdom. Talk about it some other night. I believe in scripture. talked about the Lord will send fire upon the eyes. I believe the United Kingdom's in for a sharp, short, sharp shock. It will come upon them suddenly. But he's given us space to repent. He's given us a chance to turn to him. Isaiah is looking for heaven to be opened again. Isaiah is asking for heaven to come down, not as the Lord himself. And Isaiah is saying that heaven must respond if the nation and the people are to be saved. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. The word rend, kara, it means to tear apart, to tear away, to tear asunder the heavens. He's not just asking for some little fuzzy feeling in a meeting. He's not just asking for some little shower drops to be falling here and there. He's not just asking for a mission to be taken where two or three, and thank the Lord for them, but two or three people to get saved at it. He's not asking for that. He's asking the Lord for a national revival. He's asking the Lord to pour out his spirit. He's asking the Lord to come down and reign in power and glory. He's crying, he's saying, listen, he's saying the heavens, tear the heavens, oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens. From here to the skies, through the clouds, outer space, to God's heaven, wherever that is, the place that we'll never reach. He said, Lord, would you rent it right in two where heaven will meet earth again? Where the whole of heaven will be seen from the whole of earth. From the whole of earth will realize the power of the whole of heaven. Oh, that thy wouldest rent the heavens. would us come down. Sometimes church we pray and our prayers are like it's like a flea trying to push planet earth off its axis. We've got a bigger God than that. We have a God who hears and answers prayer. It's time for us to cry like the prophet cried. Oh God will you save? The Lord tells us what to do, church, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 13. I love praise. You know me, I love worship. I'm quite, uh, quite fond of getting a little soft shoe shuffle on at times and hop, skip and a jump and a wee. You know me, I love the, the joy of it. And I'll do that after the meeting probably too. After the word. You know I love that, so I'm not despising that. But in general, here's what he tells us. Joel chapter 2 verse 13. Ready? The Lord says, you want this? Rend your heart. Rend your heart, not your garments. 
Can I say this without offence, please? There's many times, and I know we've had, we have some great prayer meetings here on a Tuesday night. Great, powerful. The Lord's here. It's mighty. Sometimes we come in and it's all, Lord, I'm rending my garments. I need you. Ah, manifestation and power. And we see some of them on their stage and you know, they take the jacket off and I want this all to fall and I wave my coat at you and all this sort of nonsense and garbage. Full of tripe, the whole lot of them doing that. Nonsense. Holy Ghost power. Listen. See, the Holy Ghost really comes in. Know what you do? You'll fall to your knees and worship. You'll cry for mercy. Cry for mercy. We're not to rend our garments. It's our heart he wants. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. In other words, the Lord will help us. So here's what I've written. A rent heart and a rent heaven will bring real revival. Let me say it again. A rent heart and a rent heaven will bring real revival. That's what Israel needed, a real move of God again. That is, they're saying, we are the work of your hands. If you don't come, Lord, in sovereign power, if you don't come and move through your people, the church, your body on earth, if we don't grasp and rend our hearts to seek your face, then our nation is doomed. Our nation is doomed. So we had the introduction to the potter, and that was the potter's work. And in our opening verse, he says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, and we are the clay, thou art our potter, and we are all the work of thine hand. Here's the points about the potter. We have the potter's work. And whenever you go home tonight, or tomorrow, or through the week, read Jeremiah chapter 18, we have the potter's house. Then in Jeremiah chapter 19, we'll have the potter's vessel that is broken. And then when we're finished with that, we'll move on to Matthew 27. We have the potter's field. And then we'll move on from that to the potter's sovereign day and the potter's touch. So I'll finish. Told you it wasn't going to be long tonight, didn't it? You see, if I was to go into the rest of it, it's just, it's prophecy in it. And you're going to find Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house. The Lord says, go down to the potter's house. You'll hear my words. There's the potter working on the wheel. And it becomes marred in his hands. He starts to make it all over again. And as he makes it all over again, 
the Lord says, come and I do this with you, O house of Israel. So I've done with the clay. And he did that. It was prophecy. He did that. He did it through the gospel. Started to mold it. The vessel that was broken. You know when you break a vessel and the, the shivers go everywhere, all over. Well, the Jewish nation was broken. It's a prophecy of the pottery. And the shivers went all over the place. Well, look at it. And the Lord says, I can take you again, O house of Israel, and make you all over. He puts water on it. What's the water? It's the Holy Ghost. Puts it into the clay, and he starts to knead it and to move it. And his own sovereign will, and his own sovereign hand, doing his own sovereign work. And he says, I will make you anew. How does he do it? Through the cross of Christ. Through the Spirit moving in our land. He makes us all over again. Potter's field. Judas Iscariot. And the money he sold Christ for. Remember? Talk about that. But that's symbolic. You know that? Because outside the potter, all pottery that was discarded was thrown outside into a field, outside the house. No shivers when they were broken prophetically. The house of Judah, who became known as the Jews later, or an admixture of them became known as the Jews, they were put outside the potter's house of the Holy Land. And Judas represented that, and they rejected Christ. And he ended up on a potter's field. See all the symbology of it and the prophecy of it. Friend, I want to ask you here as we close this. How's your life? How's your heart? How's your soul before God? Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you backslidden? Have you fallen away? He loves you tonight. I believe God has spoken to someone tonight. I believe God has spoken to our hearts tonight. And even you, church, I believe he's spoken may God be glorified may Christ be exalted and may you get on with God for his name's sake Amen